this night, it's this all hallows prepare to be scared, frightened, and disturbed. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Wee Scottish Book Club Halloween Special. With me, Ayrshire's Antichrist, Natalie, and the Dundonian Dracula, Scott. <laughs> Happy Halloween, Scott! <laughs> Hello! What an entrance! What an introduction! Wow! Are you all set for Halloween? I am ready for Halloween. Um, however, I'm gonna I'm gonna open with some honesty. We're all friends. I don't like Halloween. Neither do I. Oh, welcome to our Halloween special, hosted by two people who couldn't give a flying monkeys about Halloween. Off to a great start. But the main thing is, is Eleanor got something cute to wear? Yes, yes, because luckily my wife is into Halloween. Um, so Alison is all over the Halloween-ness. We've got the pumpkins around the house we've got the trick-or-treats ready for in giving out to those geysers on sunday night we have got the costumes ready um i think she is going as uh, allison this is not my not my kid <laughs> allison <laughs> my 30 year old wife is going as winnie the pooh or now that she's got like a wee belly and stuff because oh, she's got cute. a baby in there so she's gonna have a winnie the pooh's wee pot belly um and so she's she's winnie the pooh and Eleanor has got a host of costumes that she can be wearing. Um, she's everyone's favourite, hey, Dougie. Um, we've got some stick, Disney... Stick, 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 stick. Yeah, we've got some Disney classics. If you're going to sing for all of these, I'm going to be really impressed. Um, so she can go as Elsa from Frozen. No, no. sorry. Okay. Let it go, let it go. Wow, did an angel just walk in? <laughs> uh, wow. Um, and we've got Jessie from Toy Story as well, so she's uh, she's that. I have got one costume that I was forced to buy for school last year or the year before. And it is one of those inflatable costumes, and it look, makes it look like I'm riding a Tyrannosaurus Rex. The dinosaur lover in me loves that. Um, so yeah, I've also got my like, you know, the, the general like bookish themed t-shirts for school. I've got like my books t-shirt and stuff. Just, you know, got to get in the spirit for someone. Just pretending that you actually like it. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm all about what comes next. I'm mm. Christmas. Um, um, I am just the season Scrooge. Every single season. I'm like, no, thank you. So what do you get excited for? My birthday. I get nice presents. Just your birthday? Yeah. It's all about me, Scott. Remember? Yeah. Fair enough. 
to be fair, see when I actually celebrate Halloween and I go out, me and my wife, and we did, we did like Phil and Lil. Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Other ones that I cannot remember clearly. Wow. Um, when I'm out and I'm having a good time, I enjoy it. But I think it's just, obviously you're a guy, Scott, but years and years of pressure to be a sexy nurse, a sexy doctor, a sexy cowgirl, a sexy witch. I couldn't just be a wee guy for doing the street. Do you know what I mean? I like dressing up as men, so see, like dressing up as Jack and Victor, that's my kind of jam. Yeah. Yeah. So you're for the comedy costume yeah. over the what? Sexy lady. Because, I mean, I'm already on that anyway. Yeah. I mean, 364 days of the year. Exactly. You've got to have a break sometime. Um, but on Halloween, I'll probably put my blinds down, close my doors and oh, say, no, thank you, kiddies. Not today. No, you I'm are sorry. not one of those. I don't have kids yet. See, when I do have kids, I'll be like, oh, yeah, give my wine some sweeties. But right now, I don't need to do it. Oh, that that's more of a Halloween Scrooge than I am. I'm at least door open. But my wife answers the door. Mm. Because there's that thing about being a teacher and living in the area where you teach. I don't want those kids being at my door and being like, oh, look, it's him. It's that guy that works in our skill. Let's put toilet roll on his roof. He better not put any toilet roll on my roof. I'll, I'll be shouting at them. <laughs> I'll shout at them so well. So, what have you been up to since we last spoke? Since we last spoke, um, I had, since we're going for a Halloween-themed show, um, Dundee, as you know, is on the up and up um, in the world. Because I've visited it twice now. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, And we held a little sort of mini eco um, event down at Slessor Gardens near the V&A. Um, and there, there was something I have never seen before, something incredible. And it was, a, I think it was 10 meter tall puppet made out of all like recyclable materials. And her name was Storm. And it was just this unbelievable sight that I have never seen before. And I will never see again, 10 meters of like, wood and stuff that then formed this woman who I found mildly attractive and I feel that yeah it's Eleanor's best friend now she always talks about when I say oh who are your friends she says Storm um before she lists anyone that's real um and so it was a really nice sort of hey look Dundee's doing their bit now a, a big community thing it was lovely but it was terrifying. You posted it on your stories and I wrote to you, what the fuck is that big beast? It you were like, not the it only one. It looked like the female Groot, but even scarier. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it looked like, Groot. But yeah, it did have a bit of a scare to it. Um, But it was really cool, really impressive when you were there in the flesh. Um, Are they going to do it every year or is it just a one-off thing? I think this was just a one-off thing. I think this is, it's all like lining up with the cop stuff that's happening in Glasgow um, mm-hmm. over the next uh, wee while. So I think it's all kind of just bumping into that stuff just now. Um, but what about you? What have you been up to? Well, as you can probably tell from my voice, it's not been the best week 
for me. Um, shout out to Ella for giving me a disease. Not COVID, by the way. I don't know when we can stop saying, by the way, it's not COVID. When we can just cough and people are like, oh, you're ill, that's a shame. Instead of being like, oh, oh COVID, get away. Um, but yeah, even tried to go for my PCR test just to double check it wasn't COVID. Broke down in the lay-by, me and my wife, both ill. Sat in Lidl's car park for two hours. Just didn't even know what to do with ourselves. But yeah, it's just been quite a week just of being so ill. And you've been in my house. My house is usually spotless. I have clothes everywhere and tissues just building up. I can make a tissue mountain in this house right now. Hey, there's your Halloween costume. Good point. You like just a, stick them to me. Yeah, like a bogey, bogey monster. Great idea. The Waynes definitely want to come to the door if I do that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I actually did manage to get quite a lot of reading done because my wife's been ill too, so she just left me alone, which was lovely. I've had about 10 baths this week, which is mm. even better. And one thing that I have been watching that has blown my mind, and if you haven't watched it, I'm going to shout at you, Murder Island. I've not watched it. Scott, do you know what this, it is? This is the Ian Rankin thing, isn't it? Is he he's had a hand in helping write it? He wrote it, yeah. And it's basically a Scottish island, um, and they take people, just normal couples, put them on the island, and there's been a murder, and they need to try and solve it as if they're the police. And I was watching it, thinking I could do better than them. They're rubbish. Look at what they're doing, you know. But could I? I'm not actually sure. Um, they've put in two girls that really don't have a clue what they're doing. They're absolutely nuts. Um, there's two older ladies that remind me a bit of like Miss Marple or something. They're, they're going to probably be the ones that solve it, I think. And there's a, a woman and a man, um, I think they're from London, and she studies criminology at uni and she is absolutely brilliant. Even when she's interviewing the people, she's just pure stone-faced. Um, so I think it's going to be the older lady or the couple that pure crack it. But you need to watch it because we need to be talking about it next week. I need a friend. Sorry. I'll make sure I join in. I'll catch up. Call yourself an Ian Rankin fan. I'm getting called out all the time on this podcast. <laughs> so what have you been reading this week? Well, um, I'm going to start off by telling you about a book that I have only just finished. Um, and it's called A Working Class State of Mind, and it's written by Colin Burnett. Um, so I first came across the name Colin Burnett because of the Scott Laid Awards, um, where Colin was nominated as one of the writers of the year. Um, and that's the first time that I came into contact with the book. I've then got the book, and I have now finished it. And it is a series of short stories. And they are hilarious but when you scratch away the humor they are so ultra realistic um about the world we're living in the characters are characters that probably live in and about your street you'd recognize them in some of the pals you've had at school or all that kind of stuff um, it's written entirely in east coast scots um and i absolutely loved it um and it's so strange to read a, a sort of a collection of short stories that all link. Like I've read the Chris McQueer books where they're short stories and they're great, um, but you don't revisit those characters again and again. Whereas in this book, you get to know 
three or four characters the way you would in a novel, but through these little snapshot snippets of their life. And it's actually, it's really, really funny. That is absolutely genius. So you actually, because the thing, the thing with short stories sometimes is you can't connect to the characters. Whereas yeah. in this, you actually are getting a picture of who the character is. Well, you can come away and go, my favourite character was, because you've just read 200 pages of them. They appear in most stories. And there's a few stories that are just about one of the main characters, but you're still getting a bit of them. Um, and it, it's even, it's to the point where I can't even say, oh, and the last story is about this, because it's actually a spoiler. There's mm-hmm. actually something in the short stories that when you read the last story, you go, ah, that's how that happened. And did, did it give you train spotting vibes? Very much so. Um, purely because of the East Coast thing, I think. It's um, very Welsh-like in that sort of, um, that you're reading the language that Irvin Welsh speaks in. But I think through the likes of train spotting, it's a very different kind of Embra accent that you're reading. Um, this one, as much as it's Edinburgh, and you're getting that sort of heavy Edinburgh East Coast accent the whole way through, um, it's inspired by the likes of train spotting, but it's not a copycat. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's really important to say as well. If you like train spotting, probably for you. Um, but equally, if you don't like train spotting, this might be for you as well, because it is it's a similar theme, but it's written in a different way. Um, I really, really have enjoyed that one. What about yourself? What have you been reading? So I've been going down the horror road. I started with Buddha Da, to be fair just to kind of lighten me up. So I'm 100 pages into that. And it got me out of a wee reading slump. Do you remember I was so depressed? Don't know if mm. listeners remember that from the last episode. So put that to the side now. And now I'm into horror. Since it's Halloween, you know, when we're recording this, it's the beginning of October. So we are just getting into the flow of our Halloween reads. So I'm reading The Shining, which big shout out to Bethany one of our pals for getting us involved in another read-along, just breaking it down, what, 25, 30 pages a day? Yeah. Um, What are your initial thoughts? Well, I think, you know me and Misery, we didn't get on. I wasn't sure if me and King were going to be friends. But The Shining is so different, I think. I think it's because there's more characters. It's not just an isolated guy sitting in a room. There's more things to play with. I mean, we're only... We've not even we've just arrived at the hotel in the shining. So nothing much has happened, but it has set the scene so well and made you so eerie. When we were speaking about it, even today in the chat, there was just one word. I won't say what it is, it's a bit rude, but there was one word that we have dissected and it gave us all the creeps. And it's just setting this the scene, putting us all on edge and making us all a bit nervous straight away. How have you been finding it? I think King does it best when he writes through the eyes of a kid or someone young. Um, And I think that's something that maybe was missing in the likes of Misery Um, because I'm actually going to talk about them a bit later on, but Stephen King books, I do enjoy. Um, But there have been a couple of Stephen Kings that haven't stuck um, or I haven't gelled with, but The Shining um, through the eyes of five-year-old Danny, I'm really enjoying um, just because I think it gives it that extra level of eeriness, just thinking through the eyes of a kid. Um, so I'm excited to see where it goes because I've not seen the film. I've seen parodies of the, the sort of story elsewhere, Simpsons, Family Guy, things like that. 
Um, red drum, but, red drum, red drum. Yeah. And I used to have a, you know, one of those wee lap trays you get for having your tea when you're sitting watching the telly. Your and I used to have, yeah, when you're having your tea. Your um, yeah, your tea. I used to sit and, <laughs> and it had Homer Simpson and it was just sitting going, no beer and no TV make Homer a dull boy. And <laughs> I know that's in this book. I know that's a reference to something in The Shining, but I don't know what. So I'm looking forward to seeing all those cultural references that are like, oh, is it that big? I know that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, because I think that is the thing with Stephen King. There is hunters that we know about it. We don't know what books they're from. We don't know even know that they're Stephen King. We just know that they exist. Which, yeah, I can't wait to get into it either. I'm also um, been reading The Wasp Factory by Ian Banks. Have you read that? No, it is very, very high on my list of books I want. All I'll say about it so far is I understand where Alan Gillespie gets Alice and why he loves Ian Banks. Not Again, let's just clarify, not a copycat at all, but let's just say I can tell why Alan likes it. As well as Murder Island, have you heard about the new bookish programme that's coming back to the BBC in two days, the 31st of October? No. Tell me a bit about it. What is it? Do you own a TV, Scott? What the hell is a TV? (laughs) It's the Big Scottish Book Club, hosted by Damien Barr. Of course I've heard of the Big Scottish Book Club. It's our big brother. Our big brother! So Damien is bringing it back with a lineup of amazing authors that he's going to be interviewing, some of them being Alan Johnston, Miriam Margulies, Bobby Gillespie, Louise Welsh, Jenny Fagan, the Luckenbooth, Jackie Kay, we've spoken about her You've previously, mentioned her, yeah. Alan Warner, Denise Mina, Val McDermott, your guy Ian Rankin, didn't even see him before, I'm so excited, and James Robertson. That's just some of the names that he's got coming onto this. That is huge. Um, And alongside the authors, there are a lot of poets and spoken word performers um, also appearing on the programme with Damien. And as well as that, did have have you seen the show before? Have you seen the format? Are you? No, this will be my first year watching it. Right. Well, let me tell you a secret about the show. One of the things I like best about the whole programme is that Every episode, Damien invites a, a Scottish book club, a, a some sort of club, whether it be, I don't know, a group of folk from the Bagpipe Society of Dumfries, or it could be the, I don't know, the UFO enthusiasts of Ullapool. But as long as they have a book club, they can be invited on the show to talk all things books, how they came together, and they dissect a book as well. Now, hang on a minute. Well, we've got a Scottish book club and we haven't been asked to go on the big Scottish book club. Oh, but wait, you're, are you serious? Yeah, I'm going to have to, I mean, Damien, oh, wait, well, no, no, let, let me, no, let me stop. Are you saying that the Scottish book club have not been invited on? Did you not get the, the message? I don't think so. Is this something we should talk about when we're not? recording because no no i want to share it with my listeners uh, if you get something to tell me scott well they asked 
they asked that the Scottish Book Club to go on. How did I not know about this? This is awkward. Well, tune in on Sunday night to see what book club is featured in the Halloween um, era date of the uh, the big Scottish book club with um, Damien Barr. And if Damien's ever going to ask me to go on. In all seriousness, watch the Big Scottish Book Club. You may see some familiar faces on one of the episodes. Ooh. <laughs> now it's time for Scottish Book of the Week. Scott, it's your turn. What have you got for us? Well, um, I have brought a book that I think fits our Halloween theme. Um, so, as you know, I've said I'm not big into my Halloween, but I think I've mentioned before on the podcast, or maybe not, I can't remember, um, that the first book I have ever read that was a Scottish book was The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, Yes. Yes, indeed. A book that has inspired Scottish authors ever since. And this book is over 100 years old, um, 1886 it was published and I read it well, maybe about 10 15 years ago um, and I still think that it is a book that captures that sort of modern feel as well as much as it's set in old school London um, it is very much something that can be read by a modern um, reader and still be very much enjoyed so the book tells the story of Dr. Jekyll, um, who is a well-respected member of society, he's a scientist, um, but he starts to experiment with the darker side of science. Um, and he meddles a little bit with almost the dark arts, I suppose. And he brings out his second nature, his alter ego, his evil persona in Mr. Hyde. And when we have Mr. Hyde on our pages, things don't go so well. Um, There is murder, there are horrible situations that are uh, created by Mr. Hyde, who has no thought or no feeling or doesn't really want to face the repercussions of his evil. But that is probably the best word to describe old Mr. Hyde. He is a monster. Uh, He is... Dr. Jekyll tries to keep him under control. That's the whole book is the struggle of trying to keep your your monster at bay um, kind of thing. Something that we can all relate to. I mean, there are situations I need to really hide my horrible personality. Um, you try a bit harder. <laughs> um, but Dr. Jekyll's doing that. This whole book, he's trying to keep Mr. Hyde under wraps. And I think you'd know that this book wouldn't be very interesting if he succeeds. Um, so it's a, a, a book that's it's not got a lot of characters in it. It is a massive character study on Hyde and Jekyll, who are actually the same character. Um, and the thing I really liked about this book, probably the biggest takeaway, is that the character of Hyde, and I double-checked this this morning trying to Google all the quotes, um, the character of Hyde is never described. So I've got the picture of what Hyde looks like in my head, but I'm betting... If you read it, he's a different character. Jekyll's described. We know what he looks like. But the character of Mr. Hyde, we never see. We get little drips, but never full descriptions. 
I have never read Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, but since you spoke about it last time, I went and got it. So I've got myself a wee copy. Not that big. No, it's a small book. 120 pages. So Mm -hmm. that's quite good. But when you're talking about Mr. Hyde never being described, my version of Mr. Hyde comes from, and it's the place I found out about Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, a movie, a child's children's movie called The Page Master. Of course, yeah. Have you seen The Page Master? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that was where I learned about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from for the very first time. Um, and it was on that when they go in, they go into that book and they think he's a nice scientist that's going to help him, and then he turns into Mr. Hyde. But that's all I I know, that's all I will see in this mm. book. Yeah, that that's actually really interesting. Being influenced by a sort of outside force coming into a book, that's actually quite cool, isn't it? It's quite interesting as well because the thing that we spoke about last time, we didn't know that these books were Scottish. We didn't know that this legend that we all knew about was Scottish. No, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, Edinburgh born. Um, yeah. And I didn't know that before properly investigating um, Scottish authors and... It's a classic. Mm-hmm. It's a Scottish classic. And it's a Scottish classic that has influenced so many other Scottish classics. Yeah. Um, I think it was the Rebus books that I sort of made a hint towards because of it as well, because that's what Rankin was trying to do, create a modern Jekyll and Hyde. Um, and would you say, is it is it scary? Is it eerie? Like, how is it? Is it just a bit uncomfortable? It's a tense one because you know that every time once the monster is created, once we've got Mr. Hyde, you know he can appear at any given moment. And I think Robert Louis Stevenson puts Dr. Jekyll in lots of situations where you, as the reader, think, imagine Mr. Hyde came out now. Oh, what would happen? And it constantly puts you feeling like you're walking on eggshells as you read a book. Um, And it really is quite interesting because of that. It's it's that situation. It's, it's almost like Begbie, I suppose, in train spotting. You know that man can lose it at the drop of a hat. We know that Mr. Hyde can come out and do terrible things at the drop of a hat. And Dr. Jekyll isn't the best at keeping him under control. Can you imagine reading this as a child then? It's a children's classic. Well, this is the thing. We've got it in our school library. It's one of the books that is on our sort of program of reading. And you always give it to those more advanced readers, but it's still there. And when I compare the children's copy to the copy I read, there's not much of a difference. So I can imagine being a 11 year old reading this before you go to bed and it properly giving you the spooks. I think it really would. So parents of Scott School, if your children have nightmares, it's my fault. I <laughs> subscribe. Give it to that group because he's in it. So that was an absolute belter of one. And actually, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is one I think we could dissect in its very own episode. Interesting. I think a lot of people would have something to say about it as well. Happy Halloween. Do try not to die. Okay. And with uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde now comfortably in our rear view mirror, um, let's move on to our Name That Book segment. So this is the segment where I, this week, I'm going to ask Natalie a question and she has to scour her bookshelves in order to find me 
the answer to the following question. Natalie, this week, I would like you to tell me about a book that gave you the shivers. So a book that gave me the shivers. I'm actually going still quite close to home here, Scott. I'm going with a Scottish pick. Okay. It's our podcast. We make Do you want. Exactly. And it is Things We See in the Dark by Kirsty Logan, which is another short story collection, um, exploring our deepest and darkest fears and taking experiences that we have been through and heightening them and making us getting inside your head and making us squirm, bringing our fears to light, especially if you're a woman. Um, and it made me shiver because unlike your usual horror books, it felt more personal and realistic because of that, because it's getting into the, the fears that we have as women and the things that we experience in everyday life. Um, so it deals with fears such as isolation, pregnancy, giving birth, building a home, relationships, depression, loneliness, raising a family, sexual abuse. That is only some of the things that are dealt with in all these short stories. Um, and I think it's actually quite personal to Kirsty Logan because in between each short story, it's her thoughts on her family life. Um, she's writing it. Well, I think I think she actually is. She might have just made it up for the story. I don't know. But it's as if she's writing it in Iceland in an isolated, you know, wee cabin, like Annie Wilkes' cabin, just mm. out in the middle of nowhere. And she's obviously got nobody to talk to. There's nobody around her. So she shares her thoughts and her feelings and, and they get scarier as time goes on in between each of these wee short story collections. So it's almost as if your narrator's losing their mind as well while they're away. Exactly. Ah, it's kind of that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing again. Yeah, keeping um, that. But oh. it puts these we, you know, these fears that we have as women and men and any any gender um, and puts like a dystopian and horror twist on it as well. So you do have things that are very unrealistic in it that just make you squirm a wee bit. Um, but there is, there's a bit in particular, which if you let me, I want to read it out because it'll, you'll totally understand what I'm yeah, talking give us, about. Yeah, give us a flavour of the book. So this bit is about a man taking a girl from outside a club. Now, I'm going to paraphrase again. I'm going to read one paragraph and then I'm going to read another paragraph just so that you can understand as a reader why it makes me shiver so much. So here we go. He takes you from the alley behind a club where you've gone to throw up because you don't want your friends to see. You're drunk and we're probably flirting with a stranger and your skirt is rucked up in a way both slutty and unflattering, making you sim simultaneously desirable and disgusting to any man who ha might happen by you and see you. And how is a man supposed to react to that? Take a moment to think of all the things you did to bring yourself here. You've heard, of, you've heard stories of girls tricked into cars by a man wearing a fake leg cast, asking for help with heavy bags. Girls tricked into cars to help with injured dogs. Girls tricked into cars because they looked like taxis but were just some man's car. He didn't even bother using a trick on you. And really, what does that say about you? You're worse than all of those girls. You weren't even worth making up a lie. Do you understand how it gets inside our minds? It's that that in particular is very, very current to what's going on mm. in Britain just now um, and the things that we're seeing with these young girls. Um, so it really, honestly, I read it just last week and I was I was in the car at one point and there's a bit in it about pregnancy and I was going, oh, oh, 
And then that bit, especially, I had to just sit it down and just think for a minute, take a wee step back and think. It sounds like exactly, almost like I'm saying about the Colin Burnett book at the start, um, you've got this overarching theme, but when you scrape it away, there's a real life horror there by the, by the sounds of that particular section. Um, this is something that will be on the minds of a lot of people, um, female or not, um, a lot of people's minds um, from something as simple as a night out from that section you're reading. Um, so yeah, that's, that's real life horror, isn't it? Yeah. As much, we're going Jekyll and Hyde as this sort of fantasy creation of a monster. Um, but this is that sort of daily fear, this paranoia, this um, really difficult situations that shouldn't be difficult situations. Um, really interesting. Yeah, it's a, it was a, a belter of a book. I'm, I'm really, really glad I picked it up because I was going to go and read some, you know, Stephen King books that are a bit more supernatural and stuff. And I just thought, oh, no, this is a quicker one. This is a, just a wee short story collection. And it has been one of the most powerful reads I think I've read this year. So if you're into something a bit current, you like horror, but you're also into something that's quite current, you know, and a bit contemporary, I think... Things We Say in the Dark by Custer Logan is the book for you. <laughs> and that now moves us into the bit of this episode that I am absolutely dreading. Um, mainly because I love my sleep. And I know that what we're about to talk about is going to spook me for days to come. Um, so for those of you listening on the weekend of Halloween, please know that I've not slept since the start of October. Uh, we are, of course, talking on our Halloween special about horror and spooks and ghosties. And what better way to kick off this section than to tell a ghost story? Um, so Natalie and I have done our research. We've had a look. I have scoured the East Coast. Natalie has scoured the West Coast and we have come up with a real fright each. Um, so, Natalie, would you like to tell us about your West Coast spooky? Have you got your nappy on? Yeah. It was 1954 in Gorbals, Glasgow, when two wee boys went missing, feared kidnapped and brutally murdered. It was said they were taken to the southern necropolis where something in the darkness feasted on their corpses. The adults and police wouldn't listen, so the children of the Gorbals decided they must take things into their own hands. So after school, armed with blades and crosses, because they're for the Gorbals, stakes and dogs, the children descended upon the necropolis to hunt the Gorbals vampire. As night fell, a thick fog set in and many shadowy figures were seen lurking between the gravestones. But as the children approached each one, the shadows vanished, moving onto the other end of the graveyard, luring them in. Those two wee boys were never did materialise and the hunt for the Gorbals vampire became futile. Some say the Gorbals vampire is but a myth. But I see the shadows at night and I hear the noises when walking my dog. So I think he is real. He's just not been captured yet. 
Did you peep? I do need a break. Oh, spooky story. Um, what made you choose that one? Well, as you know, I've just moved into my, my new house. But before, I lived in the Gorbals for five years. And oh. this is where I walked my dog every day. And at night, in the dark, and the dingy, and you've seen the, the shadows and stuff. And there was a few times where Raven, just an interest gets a wee bit peaked, and she would bugger off into the darkness, barking at nothing. Or was it? Uh, oh. So as soon as Emma Gray mentioned it to us last week, just happened to mention the Gorbals Vampire, I knew, I knew we had to bring it up. I liked hearing the whole story, actually, because I didn't know about it before Emma had mentioned it. But now I know the whole thing. It's Look creepy, isn't you. it? Mm. I'll take you there the next time you're down and leave you for the Gorbo's Vampire. No! <laughs> so, Scott, let's see if you can do better than that. Well... I see your Gorbals vampire and I raise you the white lady of Balgay Bridge. Ooh. Oh. Now, in coming to this story, I researched a few different things from up the East Coast and there was things like the House of Dunn and Fivey Castle and Leith Hall and things like that. But I thought, why? Why go outside of my hometown? I've never done it before, so I'm not going to do it now. I'm staying in Dundee. And even within Dundee, there are so many spooky stories. Um, we've had the rail disaster, so the um, Tay Rail Bridge is a, a, a haunt for paranormal activity. We've got castles galore in Dundee, and some of them are said to have been very spooky castles with ghosties and things. But I heard there was quite a lot of zombies in Dundee as well. No, you didn't. Don't say that. Is that just a Saturday night? You insult my people. <laughs> I thought you were trying to scare me and say there was actual zombies. But actually, no, what you were doing was insulting Dundonians. <laughs> Some of them are. Um, so the story that really gripped me was the story of the White Lady of Balgay Bridge. So let me tell you this story. The story of the White Lady that haunts Balgay Bridge on the picturesque Balgay Hill in Dundee is one that is often told to children from the area. I remember being told many spooky stories about the hill, like a boy who was trapped in the mud and remains there until this very day, a witch who used to live in a house near the bridge, or the infamous white lady. And I always remember, I keep saying I, the author of this piece, who I will name check at the end, um, I remember friends at school claiming to have spotted her walking under the bridge on dark winter nights with my eyes squeezed tightly shut and everyone having a different idea of what exactly happened on that bridge so many years ago. While the hill has become one of my favourite walking places, I still give the nod to the white lady as I cross. When you look at Balgay Bridge, you would never pause to think that it could be haunted by a dark past. A most picturesque part of a popular park, the bridge stretches over a deep crevasse in the rock to connect Balgay Hill 
with the hundreds of years of the Western Necropolis. They're coming up again. Its iron railings are painted bright blue so that it can be seen from far, even on the mistiest of days. And it's, it photographs exceptionally well in the autumn. However, it didn't always look so cheerful. And prior to the restoration of 2002, it was unkempt, dull, and covered in rust and moss. Perhaps they painted it in an attempt to wipe away the grim past. There are many tellings of our story, but all agree that a long time ago, the white lady was a beautiful lady, a woman in love. In some tellings, her lover tragically dies and torn apart by grief, the woman throws herself from Balgay Bridge. In others, she hangs herself. And sometimes she is merely innocently crossing the bridge when a spiteful witch living in a hut in the cemetery throws her from the height of the bridge. It is said that those crossing the bridge can still hear the screams of the poor woman as she plummets to her death. And if you look closely at the rocks beneath the bridge, you'll find the mark upon where she struck her head. No matter the truth, there is one rule among the walkers of Balgay Hill. Never cross Balgay Bridge at night lest you meet the same fate as the white lady. Oh. Spooky. So that was a that was um, a piece of writing by Rebecca Brown um, on a website called Folklore Scotland, which is full of these creepy, creepy stories. Um, I read a good few of them this afternoon and check it out. Folklore Scotland. If you want to be scared... <laughs> Scott, I have a fun fact about Halloween that you okay. may or may not know. Did you know that Halloween was actually invented in Scotland? No, I thought it was an American thing. No, they steal everything, those Americans. They're Americans. Any American listen- listeners, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate you. But stop stealing our stuff. So Halloween derives from the Gaelic festival sound, which is a festival marking the end of the harvesting season. And orange was the colour that was used to mark the end of the season, which is why we associate orange with Halloween. During sound, the link between the living and the dead was heightened and ghosts could mingle with the living. Ghosts came by your door in disguise, looking for money or food, And if you turn them away, you risked being haunted. So that's why in Scotland they call us the spooky bitches. Oh. (laughs) So I didn't know that. I only found that out by actually looking up stuff about, you know, Halloween. It's actually really, really interesting. Um, But makes sense. Hmm. Because we obviously have the original words like geysin and stuff like that when it comes to Halloween. Well, yeah. yeah. So when you were geysin, what was your spiel? What did you say when you went to people's door? What was your favourite thing to say that got you these sweeties? Right. I was always that guy who had sat and thought, I need to do something. I'm not talented, so I'm not doing a trick. So I'm going to have to give them a wee treat and give them one of my beautiful um, stand-up comedy routines. So I would be hunting 
for jokes and finding jokes all over the place. And this was pretty much pre-internet in my house anyway. Um, and so we'd have to either look them up in joke books or try and make some up yourself. Um, and I was always good at it. My sister was rubbish. I know she listens to the podcast and I want to call her out. You were terrible at this part of guising. Um, you're an embarrassment to be seen with. Um, <laughs> so I'd, I'd go about um, going, uh, so I'd knock on the door and trick or treat, smell my feet, give us something good to eat, all that kind of stuff. And then the person would open the door and trick or treat. And I'd do my wee spiel. So it would be things like, Oh, what makes trick-or-treating with twin witches really difficult? I don't know. What does make trick-or-treating with twin witches very difficult? You never know which is which. (laughs) (laughs) What do you call two witches who'd live together? I don't know. Broommates. (laughs) You're telling me that your sister was worse than that? Yes, because she'd make them up. So she'd go like, oh... What do ghosts give out as trick-or-treats? Boo! And it didn't actually make sense. (laughs) Or she'd get in there first and steal the joke that she knew I was going to say. It was really frustrating being the older brother. Mm, Sounds like you were just jealous, Scott. (laughs) I'm jealous of a lot of things. Um, What about yourselves? What did you do when you chapped doors? (laughs) So I used to say a wee kind of poem, rhyme, song thing, right? Are you ready? Bring it to the podcast. No, last night, but the night before, three wee witches came to my door. One way a fiddle, one way a drum, and one way a pancake stuck to your bum. <laughs> yeah. <I> like that. <laughs> Good one. And I still walk around the house singing that, and Amy's like, would you get to? Right. I have now spent a day in your house. And I believe it because that's all you do. You walk around your house just doing these wee riddles or rhymes as you go around. Uh, yeah. Do you want to hear the song about my bath? Yes, please. Not what math needs a bath. Bath is too wee, so she bath in the sea. The sea was too wide, so she bath in the Clyde. No, the wee fishies run up her backside. <laughs> do all your songs end with something on someone's bum? <laughs> so back to Halloween. What was your favourite costume when you were wee? Or your most ridiculous one? Just tell us, Scott. Just get it all out there. I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because I dreaded Halloween coming round. Um, so I would never be the kid that had the Halloween costume planned a month in advance. And I'd be working on it and I'd be getting it ready I was never that kid. I was going to Asda, pick something up, go. Mm. Um, and I'd feel embarrassed all night doing the guys in and touring around Halloween discos at school. Hated it all. Um, so I only remember the ones that are like I've got photos of. Mm. Um, and there's one that I remember where I'm wearing this. It's like a, it's like a sort of black kind of. I'm gonna call it a. I'm going to call it a, a dress. It's like a little black dress and it's all frayed at the bottom and it's got like a Joker card on the front of it. And then I had this like mask and it was like a creepy grey face or a big long nose and the Joker's hat. And I'm standing there like in this photo. And my sister's a wee witch with a broom. And that is genuinely the only costume I think I can remember. 
I, I wasn't one for, oh, legendary Scott, he's dressed up again, why? And do you nah. think you'll be more into it now when Eleanor is dressing up? Do you think you'll like that better? Nope. No. Nope. Still don't like it. <laughs> I just, I just, I yourself it. trick-or-treating hair, I'm watching the fit. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, I genuinely don't like dressing up. I don't like as much as as much as those who know me might think I'm a bit extrovert. I'm not. I hate when people look at me and do all that kind of stuff. So I really don't want to wear a costume where people can go, oh my goodness, look what Scott's wearing. Wow. Um, and it was nice last year because I went as a Pizza Planet delivery guy. <laughs> so I had the Pizza Planet cap on and I had a Pizza Planet hoodie and a pair of jeans. That's my kind of costume because I wear sounds, stuff like that every day. That sounds like the time that I tried to go out as dressed up as an Ed when I was a teenager and we bought a bit of fast and that to get sweeties. Yeah. And then when I went to the people's store, they were like, you are an Ed. <laughs> this is just what you wore in my big sister's Burberry tracksuit and I was like no oh. I'm not I swear not me oh. this is not my buck fast <laughs> yeah. but I always remember the one that I remember and I don't know whether she did do it every year but I feel like my mum just recycled this costume every single year and again I think this says a lot about my family okay so I just remember there being this black wig and she used to take my gloves, cut holes in the tips of them. She used to rip my clothes on my old clothes that were too wee for me. And she used to hand me an empty bottle that obviously her and my dad had drunk the night before, filled with tea in a paper bag and say, there you go, Hen, you're a homeless man. <laughs> what? Now, wow. remember this, this was the 90s, right? You would not be able to do that now. But no. that, I think that's what my mum used to dress me as every single oh. year. There was one cute nice. year I was dressed as Willy Willy Winky, and then all I remember after that is a homeless man. Homeless, homeless man with your flask of tea every year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Halloween. Do try not to die. So we've touched on the fear factor the whole way through today's podcast. What gives you more of that fear that that spook feeling do you find your spooks in books or do you find your spooks in films what scares you more i think it depends doesn't it because like when we're talking about um Kirsty logan's things we see in the dark things like that that get into your head books are better for that you know stuff that maybe you need you think about more because if you see that just in the screen it's gone but then also, if you think of like Black Mirror, it is a, it's the same sort of thing. And it's quite, you know, effective at that. So I think it depends. But as well as that, you've got these like Stephen King books and stuff that maybe they're better on the screen. But a supernatural. I cannot stomach spooky films. <laughs> I remember as a teenager, always going to my friend's house, Daniel, he had a converted loft and it was like a wee cinema games room kind of thing. And that's where we hung out. And it must have been like a 20 minute walk from my house. Um, but on a Friday night, we would call it like Fear Friday. And we would go to his house and they would put on a scary film. And I remember my whole way home every week, I would be absolutely bricking it as I went home. There were some nights I just pelted. Like, I think that's where I get my running from. 
just pelting down the street because I would be scared of like Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Michael Myers or uh, Freddy Krueger or one of these ghastly characters being right behind me. Um, and it's even things that there are so many trees around where I live and where I live, I still live in the same area as when I was a kid. And like Blair Witch Project, things like that would just, I, I can't even think about it now makes me quite happy that I'm in the house with the doors locked and I know that Eleanor will protect me if it needs. When you said Freddy Krueger there, I was absolutely triggered. I'm not going to lie. He used to give me nightmares. I used to, when I was in a toilet cubicle, I don't know why, there must have been a bit in Freddy Krueger where he comes up the toilet mm-hmm. and grabs somebody. Yeah, because hand. whenever I was in a, a toilet cubicle when I was away, I just thought Freddy Krueger was coming to get me. He terrified me. So I'm the same as you. I can watch them when I was a teenager because I'm like, hey, I'm cool. I, I can handle this. But I was terrified. I think I maybe could watch them now because I know they're not real. But nah. I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't get that same feel from a book. I can no. read a I can read a horror that I wouldn't be able to watch. I think like, it's the sound effects though. It's the visual. It's yeah. not just an imaginative thing. The, a, a book, I can I can kind of put little bits in that make it feel nicer when I'm reading it. But yeah. when it is on the screen, there is no change in it. Um, the only film that I think I've seen and read would be It. And one of my big things, Clowns. No, thank you. Um, and that, especially the more recent films, the old ones, not so much because it's kind of that circus clown and I'm okay with that. It's when it's that spooky clown I can't handle. Yeah, and... I haven't read or watched them because I am not good with clowns either. Mm. And the main character in it is just so, I'm going to talk about him later, but he plays on the fears of kids. So no matter what you fear, he will transform into that for you. And I don't even know what he would transform into for me because my goodness, I've got a list as long as my arm of fears so that book and film gave me the shiveries so what is your biggest fear Scott? well it's what are we going for are we going for like day-to-day real life or are we going for like what would be my number one thing number one no holding back i genuinely think it is this is going to sound really stupid because it's it's not scary, but it is to me. Spiders. No, I'm right? with you. With you, I'm with you there. I recently became a homeowner in the last few years, and I can no longer say it's no matter who's. I, I'm. I have to actually deal with them now, and I'm getting better, but it's been brought into this stark focus recently because we've now got Eleanor. And I don't want her to have the same fear that I've got. Yeah. And I know Alison has as well. So I've been, every time I find a spider in the house, I try and invite Eleanor to have a wee look. And a wee like, oh, look at this guy. Isn't he nice? So we've got spiders crawling around the floor and I would go, oh, Eleanor, look. Oh, there's a nice wee spider. Come to say hello. And I would have to get within a few feet of it and be like, Oh, Eleanor, look. Oh, hello. Look at this. And she would come across and she'd stand and she stares at it. And then I have to get it out. And the way I normally do it is I suck it up the hoover 
and then empty the hoover outside and watch it crawl away. Um, and Eleanor now says, Daddy put a spider into its house? And Are you telling me that it is true that when you hoover up a spider, that it's alive in the hoover? In my hoover it is, yeah, 100%. Oh, my God. This is a Halloween special. My biggest fear is spiders and cows. Cows? Cows. I'm terrified of cows. What brought the cows? Is it the village thing? It's the village thing. I've been chased so many times and bucked by so many cows. And the, the most evil faces, they just watch you and they come towards that fence and they want to kill you. Wow. I'll never give up hamburgers, Scott. so after fears what would scare you the most in a book something real yeah um and i think i said earlier about stephen king and the kids it's now eleanor is the one that's on my mind so if something happens to a kid um then that is the ultimate fear for me now um because i can deal with something but I don't think she can yet. And so if I was putting her wee face on a character or thinking about her in a situation that some of these kids find themselves in in books, horrible authors, horrible. Um, it, it is something that I really, really struggle to read now. It's the book that I need to close and take a minute to remind myself, it's not real, it's not real, read on. Um, so yeah, I think something happening to someone young is, is something that I'm I'm properly freaked out by and scared by now in books. What about yourself? Kind of similar, except obviously I don't have kids yet. Um, so it's more along the lines of probably what I spoke about with Kirstie Logan's Things We See in the Dark, things that are personal to me, um, even things like relationships, you know, like not actually knowing your partner fully, even though you trust them and like you think you know somebody, you don't. It could be anybody in your life, I suppose. Um so it's more like, you know, your psychological thrillers and stuff that give you that eerie, creepy feeling. Um, things like sexual abuse, domestic abuse and stuff, and like bones breaking, even seeing, you know, misery. The only bit that made me jump was when Annie Wilkes yeah. came in the knee and smashed his bones. Um, but a kind of good Scottish example of that would be The Boy from the Sea, which is by H.L. McFarlane. Um, and it's just a great example of a book that gets under your skin. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. I've, that that author's name is ringing a bell for me. Yeah, quite quite um, big in the in Instagram scene. So she is um, really really nice lady. Um, I thought it was going to be a kind of fantasy read based on the name, you know, kind of like this merman and this lady, and then you know them falling in love and stuff. Um, but it's definitely a more of a psychological thriller so it's kind of girl meets this boy at uni and she she really wants to get to know him and she becomes quite obsessed by him and obsessed by finding out who he is so that's a bit creepy in itself and um, he's quite quiet and brooding and doesn't give a lot away um, and then they fall in love and it becomes you know this intense relationship you know what it's like just you've got when you first get with somebody it's so so intense um, and then there's brutal murders that are happening around the country. And she begins begins to find out more about her boyfriend. 
and about his past and he might actually not be who he says he is mm-hmm. but in that he's obsessed by her by this point and she's obviously obsessed by him as well so it's hard for them to disconnect and you know hard for her to work out whether she should trust him or whether her life is in great danger um, and the good thing about sometimes psychological thrillers it's when they have you and you're reading it and you go what the fuck you just have that mm. moment and I had that with Boy From The Sea to the point that I actually um, messaged the author and said to her, come on, tell me more, because the ending just, it just messes with your head. And that, they're the kind of books that just make me uneasy. Yeah, that does sound interesting in a different kind of way, that different sort of fear, that different E. And because um, it's Scottish, it's close to home, isn't it? Well, Yeah. Another book I'd like to bring to the table today is Closer to Home Than I Could Imagine. Um, and it is my non-fiction um, that I'm going to bring along. This is the first non-fiction I've mentioned um, on the podcast. Um, Mr. Non-Fiction? That's, that's my new nickname. Um, and it's called The Law Killers. And I don't know if you know, but Dundee is a place of murder. So much murder goes on in Dundee. I thought it was a really, really beautiful place when I came up. I thought it, um, who is it? Desperate Dan and Urwally. Well, I love them. They are here, but they are hiding the dark underbelly of Dundee's past. And uh, The Law Killers by Alexander McGregor really explores this. So I'm going to say short stories because I, I, I want to pretend they're not real, um, but they all tell the story of a gruesome murder in Dundee um, so this could be anything from the dog walker on the, the law um, that is then taken and cut up and put in a bathtub and all that kind of stuff to like we've mentioned earlier the girl that gets in a taxi that's not a taxi um, and taken to a local wood and abuse and death follow um, and it's even down to things places I've passed on my daily walk or my daily trip to uni and things like that. Um, like we've got a little fishing shop in town called Gow's. It's been there forever, but it was part of a brutal, brutal um, murder. When one of the shop assistants was closing the place for the night, it was an armed robbery gone wrong and death and destruction came on Gow's. I had never heard of it before. Um, but there is always, this is the reason I bought the book because it has a story in it that I have always wanted to know the truth about. And it's a place on the Perth Road in Dundee um, on a street called Rosango. There has been this house that has been derelict for as long as I can remember. Um, and it has been because it, a terrible thing happened one night where someone went in and murdered the couple that lived there um, with an axe and uh, this house has never been able to be bought over or change hands because of this sort of horrific story. Um, and it just gives me chills now walking down the street. Alexander McGregor clearly does his research really well. He tells the stories um, really, really well. They're not dry. And that, that's the reason I don't speak about nonfiction often because I can't read it. I find it too much like work. Yeah. Um, but this book gripped me because it was local for me um but it was also written so well by um alexander mcgregor and terrifying 
real life terrifying. And is it done in a respectful way? Because obviously it is about people. Yeah, it's it's um it's very here are the facts that came out in the case. Um, so it's not there's nothing that is almost using hyperbole or whatever to make bigger or better. It's it's what came out in the trial. It's what came out as the truth. And these people are now behind bars or long dead because of when it happened. But spooky to think that while I'm tucked up in my bed tonight, one of these stories could be happening in my city. Who needs aliens in horror, eh? Mm, no me, no Dundee. <laughs> Now it's time for Done in 60 Seconds Halloween Edition. Oh. Scott, it's your turn to guess again. I don't know. He just died there, I think. All right, it's peace, the fear. <laughs> it's the fear. Done in 60 Seconds and Halloween together just don't work well for me. So it's me to give the clues this time and you to guess again. And I don't think you're going to get this one either. No. Are you ready? As I'll ever be. In three, mm. two, mm. one. Yeah. Legend. 16th century. Robbie Burns poetry. <laughs> Ditch digger. Ooh. Sea cave. Girvin. Clan. Oh, no. 14 children. Abby Burns. <laughs> no, he was a better womanizer. 32 grandchildren. Black Agnes Douglas. Mm. Witch. Mm. 1,000 killings. Ambushes. No. Executions. Incest. Cannibalism. Is this Sonny Bean? <laughs> yes! Did I get it? Yes, well done! Oh. I can't believe you got it! Thank you so much to the Arbroath Academy or Arbroath High or whatever one that my sister-in-law works in because they did a interpretive dance show all inspired by the legend of Sonny Bean and it was just, it was Douglas who was stuck in my head. And I had to pull Amazing. it out. Yes. Well, you got it in one minute forty-eight, but it's milliseconds, so I think I'll give you it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well done! I'm so proud of you. So that's something from my area. Um, Tony Bean was born in Edinburgh, in East Lothian, um, and he tried to be a ditch digger just like his father. That didn't work out. He then met Black Agnes Douglas, who was deemed to be a witch. And they moved down to the west coast, to my area, um, between Girvan and Ballantrae, lived in a um, sea cave where if the tide came in, nobody else could get to them. And they basically stole people from the road and ate them. Yes. Yeah. There you go. I'm so proud of you, Scott. When you'd first went and it was a ditch digger, I'd gone um, button hair. Here. I thought, oh, the, the grave robbers at Edinburgh, is it going to be them? 
Um, but it was, is it Agnes Douglas? Is that the name? Black Agnes Douglas. Black Agnes Douglas. That's the name that was stuck in my head from that show when I'd come out and read about it. That's the name. And I knew, oh, it was some, yeah, so proud of myself. My, that's some. That's a story my mum used to tell me all the time um, to terrify the wits out of me. So thanks, mum. Thanks for that. Love you. Yeah. <laughs> I am now on cloud nine after that. I'm um, so proud. I'm, I might retire. Find a new host for next week. I'm new to here. <laughs> Do I care if you're dancing or no? <laughs> um, so let's finish up um, with... Where are we going next? What are you going to read next um, from that big, beautiful bookshelf behind you? I think I'm going to go back to Buddha Da because I think after all my horror, I'm going to be terrified out my wits. And I need to get ready for the spoiler chat opening and for us getting to chat with Anne. By the time this airs, we will have 13 days to get our thinking caps on and get working out what our questions are for Anne. What about you? I... I'm just about to start The Girl with the Louding Voice. Um, so I've kind of dipped in a little bit. I'm first, through the first few chapters um, and I am looking forward to seeing where this one goes because it starts very high. Um, I am really enjoying the start. It's written um, very differently to anything I've read before. Um, reading this one as part of my book group um, and I am determined to actually read the book um before the meeting this time which i didn't manage with the kite runner so um, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into that one as i read the shining and the next book on my list is buddha hoping to read that this weekend so by the time this one broadcasts we will be moving on to our next books to be revealed very soon so if you are looking for great book groups to get involved with, the Read Book Group, they read the books from all around the world. And then there's the Scottish Book Club where we only read Scottish picks. So get involved. Get asking us. We would love to have you on board. 100%. <laughs> okay. Well, that is all we have time for on our Halloween special. So, without further ado, I have now eaten Scott, and I am now Trevor, the scary, scary Halloween psychic of Natalie. And I am here to give you the ways that you can contact the show before our next episode. You can get us by email on the Wee Scottish Book Club at gmail.com. Or you used to be able to find Scott at Scott You Reading on Instagram. And for now, you can still find Natalie on the Instagram at Scotties and Books. And if you so want to, you can head to Twitter and you can find her on Scotty's books. But beware, because I, Trevor, the Halloween host, will be finding you more. <laughs> oh, hey, Natalie. 
are you dancing? Are you asking? Oh, I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the outtakes are just going to be you blowing your snorters. Yeah, mate. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> how'd, you do, how'd you make it scary? Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I'll continue watching TV and reading books <laughs> and making sure I record and edit this podcast. And also, like, I look after your child and, like... Pregnant wife. You're Hi. <laughs> You've got nothing to do with you talking about. <sighs> I had a wee hot toddy, by the way. I meant to say. Getting, getting drunk. Getting on the podcast. Getting loose for the podcast. <laughs> Amy, whisking me up. I think she's ignoring me. Of course she is. She's a cow. You can't put that in the blue. <laughs> she's still ignoring me. I don't have a hot toddy. What a bitch. What a wee hot toddy. Oh. Testing my mic. Testing my mic. Here it goes. I'm testing my mic. That's it. Better. Your bike's dead bear. I love your mic and your mic is my friend. And like they say in still game, give me your spooky bitch. I have had to, right, this is, <laughs> Eleanor um, keeps doing things and I keep going, ah, back off your spooky That's girl. <laughs> no last night, but the night before, three wee witches came to my door. One way a fiddle, one way a, dr- oh, fucked it. Let's do it again. <laughs> I think you've killed me. <laughs> it's true that's true Um, natalie went math she needs a bath the bath is too wee so she bathed in the sea the sea was too wee so she bathed in the oh fucked it you sounded like the cookie monster (laughs) (laughs) that was brilliant